0: Even, like a Dion even
1: if it's small, it'd be bigger than Dion effect. Let's go take over the SEC and show them that smart people can was play gonna say, football. I say, I'll be your OC. Yeah. Yeah, Let's yeah, go. Yeah, Let's, yeah, do yeah, yeah. Let's do it. i yeah, us yeah. do it. <laughs> it. <laughs> I felt like I was wasting my energy entertaining. And I heard a story where you just spun the globe and I was, oh, where? Yeah. <laughs> is that really what happened? Yeah, that's really what happened.
0: The quarterback's so a
1: yeah. good girl, well, which honestly, is nuts. Yeah, yeah was, I mean, they're married now, so good for them. had 240-something yards and broke the all-time. Jeez. Vegetable. You're just a and dad. Either. Yeah, I was. You know that they have sex with their goats. The longest I've gone is seven days with just water. Partying with Dennis Rodman. Very few people party with Dennis like to tell a story. <laughs> doorknob, there's this huge bra hanging on the doorknob Whoa. and these huge tennis shoes. And I was thinking, what happened?
0: Welcome back to Momentum. We have a great episode for you today, but before then, I'm gonna take a quick second to tell you about prize picks. This is gonna make watching football so much more exciting for you because now you can cash out on what you already predicted would happen. You select two or more players, pick more or less on their projected stats, and place your entry. And I mean, come on. Patrick Mahomes over two touchdowns is a lock. Throw in Derrick Henry over 50 rushing yards, and you may have a shot at winning 25 times your money. So go to prizepicks.com forward slash momentum and use code momentum for a first deposit match up to $100. Enjoy the episode. I wish people could see where we are because I didn't even know what a year it was until I uh, got here, which is super cool. So you do astrology readings here, and we're kind of just in the middle of this green it's beautiful like we were driving yeah. up and like are there tons of animals are there bears and all that here yeah there's bears
1: um there's mountain lions there's fox you've seen them there's coyotes yeah um there's rabbits there's deer what else there's geese
2: bears don't turkeys around, there's though. wild turkeys we saw a turkey on the road on yeah, the it's way, right? yeah yeah there's wild turkeys we, we pulled up obviously you guys don't know watching but it's down a private road uh-huh. you know it's um, in the forest. And I pull up with the Apple maps and I go, I'm 90, 90% sure this is the house, but if it's not, someone may come out with a shotgun and we're going (laughs) to, you know, have to talk to them, calm them down a little bit. But then I saw the little Buddha by the door and I'm like, I think we're in the right spot. You know,
1: it's California. I mean, it is harvest season, so Mm. maybe, but it's California. You know, most people are pretty chill,
2: right?
0: But bears don't play around though. Like you just, they just pull up to your house or what? No, oh, I mean if you if like if we put uh, like a old chicken
1: carcass in the in the garbage, <sighs> it'll you know, pull up. Just maybe be maybe smart. it'll pull up. Yeah, you just got to be smart. Yeah, it'll, you maybe it'll all? pull up and like knock knock some trash cans over looking for
2: some food. But
1: I don't, I don't blame it.
2: Yeah. Talking a little before we uh, started, you moved from Los Angeles and you don't miss it at all. You're enjoying it up here. Oh, I love it up here.
1: Yeah, you know, but. I usually only do things when I feel called to do them. So I was in L.A. and I just kept feeling like I need to get out of here. Uh, and this place is uh, has been special in my life history, and I always told myself I'd come back. Um, so I'm back here to live for the third time, and I think this time it's for good. Well, And what did you do the first two times? Oh, yeah. So the first time, so way back in 2004, I retired from the NFL the first time. And I found a school up here that teaches Ayurveda and I wanted to study Ayurveda. So I drove up here and enrolled in school. Uh, The Second time, uh, there's a a yoga ashram, a yoga retreat right down the road. Uh And I started teaching there a lot. And so I bought a place right next to the retreat. Uh, I lived there and this third time, just feel like it's time to create my own
0: retreat. And so we moved up here to find some land and to do our thing, and what is I, like, I've heard you talk about Ayurveda, but like it's Eastern or Indian medicine.
1: Yeah, it's Indian medicine. Um, it's not something that I practice now, but just in the like the sequence of my life story. Um, you know, I grew up in Southern California as an American, uh-huh. you know, and a jock, and so I had certain kinds of typical experiences, but I always had this hunger for other experiences. And so when I retired from football and started traveling around the world, I met this woman and she gave me a book on Ayurveda. And I was like, I don't know what this is, but I started reading it in a different way of looking at the world. The first chapter was about living, uh, eating in accordance with the seasons that and it started it kind of made hmm. sense, you know, okay, you know if it's hot outside and you eat spicy food, you know you might overheat. duh right? If it's cold outside and you eat cold food, you know. You might get too cold, and so it just got me thinking about myself, my life, uh, differently, and it was it opened my mind to living
0: closer to nature. And is that like what is that based on? Is that like an evolutionary thing when we were hunter gatherers that we were eating certain kinds of food depending on the season? Um, That's an interesting thought. I've never well natural in the sense of natural
1: of, yeah, right. That when we say a season, you know, I think again, as modern Americans, you know, we think of sports, you know, um, but even that, you know, every time fall comes along because I've been playing football my whole life, there's a feel, you know, and yeah, I associate yeah. the feelings of playing football with the leaves changing color, the weather starting to, to shift. Um, but if you go back further in time, the associations of the seasons very much were uh, about survival. You know <laughs> in certain places, you know, if you didn't know how to find food and create shelter in, in harsh climates, you, you died. And mm-hmm. so people had to learn to live in accordance with the season. with the seasons. Um, and I you know, I think we kind of we kind of forget sometimes because of modern technology. but again, I was at a time in my life where I was trying to get like closer to my roots. And so anything that that helped me feel more connected to nature, because there's there's inherent information if you just watch the animals or you watch the plants, yeah, especially animals and plants that have thrived in a certain environment for a long period of time. If you watch them, you're going to get clues and hints on how to thrive in a certain environment. Talk to me
0: a little bit about astrology. Yeah, what do and you want to know? I don't know anything about it. I'm just interested in... I think to me that's the most fascinating thing about astrology is that it's something
1: that's been around... For a long time, and a lot of people have studied it, but there's still a whole lot of people on this planet that have heard of it and they know their sign, but they don't know anything about it.
0: Yeah, I just I know I'm Aries and I don't know it. Yeah, and I'm uh
2: Sagittarius, which yeah. girls tell me that's the wrong one to have. Yeah, I hear well, that a lot. Yeah, um, girls, this, this to me that's <laughs> I never know. That's, know abuse.
1: I mean? that's abuse. That's abusive astrology. And even right. when someone says well, this is I'm a Gemini, that's not really astrology. It's a it's a typology that's based on astrology, but it's not astrology. You know, any kind of, anytime you try to take a typology, something complex and you try to whittle it down to one thing, you know, it might be kind of accurate, but it's going to be limiting. You're going to miss the complexity. And to me, for astrology to be effective, it has to help us deal with the complexity of life. And so it's much more complex than I'm an Aries and I'm a Sagittarius. Um, so for me, astrology is its just a uh, inner a different lens to think about ourselves and, and the people in our lives, right? It's like growing up, you know, I grew up in thinking of girls, you know? It's like the idea is if the girl was hot, right, then that was good. You know, if she wasn't, that was bad. You know, so.
2: Does <laughs> that a, stop working? Is ever? Right, it's, Does it's, that, it's, that's what know. I'm saying.
1: But, it, but the reality, it doesn't check out because we see all the guys that married the hot, chicks, the hot girl, it didn't, it didn't turn out well, right? That there's something more, there's something something more nuanced about choosing a partner than someone is hot, right? And so you meet someone, and again, from our cultural training, oh, she's cute, I'm going to go talk to her, right? That's the entry point. But you see, as you get to know someone, you get to see, do I like this person, right? And the more I know this person, okay, do I still like them? Because there's certain points where you like someone on the surface, but the more you know about them, you're like... I don't like this person, right? I think that's why people, you know, the divorce rate is so high because people get into relationships with people they don't really like because it, it takes a while to get to know who someone is on a deeper level. Mm. With astrology, you can get a sense of who someone is on a deeper level right away.
0: I mean, just right away. So just, is this based on a birth date? You're able to tell how you can vibe with someone? 100%. Well, it, so how you can vibe with
1: someone, That's a that's a choice. Let me give you an example, okay? So let's say, I'll cartoon it, okay? Let's say okay. you get you meet a woman who's a cancer, okay? And however, it doesn't matter, however she presents, okay? If, if she's a cancer, you know one thing, that she's sensitive, okay? And it's important for her to tell you how she feels, okay? And sometimes for guys, if a woman tells us how we feel, we think we have to do something about it, okay? All right, so, if, if you know that about someone, right, then you have a choice about how you vibe. If you're someone who you like women who are tough, right, and can take care of themselves and don't need to share how they feel, right, regardless of what she looks like and all that other stuff, right, eventually right, it's going to be annoying if she's always telling you how she feels. If you're a guy who, you know, who like wants to always know, you're curious, you know, she she never says anything, right, I wonder how she's doing if you're someone who who wants to know how how your partner feels, right? Then this one, ah, right? That's something that you're going to appreciate. And if you appreciate her telling you how she feels, she's always going to be happy with you. Mm. And so it's more about information that allows you to make choices, better choices about what kind of friendships, relationships, partnerships you want to have.
0: But what if what about environmental factors or like learned skills? What if I'm not a cancer but I grew up in an environment where I learned to do that. Like, okay. is, is there room for that? Of course. Even, okay, let's use
1: Aries for, as an example. Okay. Right. So, so nature versus nurture. Yeah. Okay. This is what you're talking about. And what an astrological chart shows, and this is where a lot of people mess up, what an astrological chart shows is it shows our nature. Because you said it's about the moment of birth. So, I tell people your astrology can't describe you as an adult because it describes the moment you were born. Mm. And all of us, since the moment we were born, we've had to deal with the environment and that environment has an effect on us. So the chart shows what the environment has had an effect on, Mm. right? So the nature of Aries typically, Aries is about the need to express passion, okay? And so Aries and Cancer typically, you know, they start off as not, not getting along so well because if I need to express what I, what's on my chest, what's like, what I'm feeling right now, right? It might not feel good to you, right? But if, cause if you're around a sensitive person, right? You have to slow down, yeah. okay? Yeah. So uh, Aries around sensitive people growing up the conditioning, the Aries would have to learn to slow down. And so that could go in two different ways. If it happens in a positive way, okay? The Aries finds compassionate ways to express their passion. You know, compassionate ways to encourage and push other people, right? That Because a true Aries, right, it's just that impulse to go, right? like a bull in a china shop, right? And if you're in an environment with sensitive people, right, you either learn, right, how to slow down, yeah. okay, or you learn that it's bad to be you, you know?
0: I do feel like I'm pretty impulsive. <laughs> yeah. Oh,
2: When was the moment that you knew, okay, there's some truth and validity to this just beyond kind of like the rudimentary understanding that Mo and I may have or someone else may have of astrology, but you're like, no, 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 there's something to this. Yeah.
1: I was just like you guys. I didn't, I didn't know about it, but I met this woman here, you know, at the yoga, the yoga retreat. Mm. I met this woman and I had just walked away from being a football player my whole life. And I didn't really know what was coming next for me. And she looked at my chart and we talked for like two and a half hours. And I had so much clarity about, you know, sometimes <clears throat> there's things in our head that we tell ourselves, but we don't share with anyone else because we're not sure, you know? A lot of those things that I've been thinking in my head, she spoke directly to from looking at my chart. And I was like, wow, whatever she's looking at is giving her a clear sense of what's going on inside my head. And I said, I want a clear sense of what's going on inside of my head. And so I started to study it myself. And the more I studied, I got more clarity about myself. And so... it. It was, it's moment after moment. And I would say almost on a daily basis, I have a like an aha of like, wow, this is so amazing. You know, I wish more people were less afraid to, to look into it because the amount, it's just constantly giving you more and more clarity. It's like the more effort you put into it, the more clarity and understanding you have about yourself, the people around you, and even around about the world. And which uh, sign are you? All right. So... <laughs> It's so if I was talking to someone conventionally, I would say I'm a Gemini. But what I know about astrology, I know I'm a Gemini, but that's not the really the most powerful thing in my chart. So a Gemini, yeah, you know I've traveled a lot. Uh, I I know a lot of a lot of things. You know I've had a lot of different experiences and I can speak to them. But a chart is more complex than a sun sign.
2: But yeah, I'm a Gemini. So, where what are the intricacies of your chart specifically? Where you're like, aha, this is where we're getting somewhere.
1: Yeah. So, um, my chart says that I'm supposed to be a healer. Okay. That's if I went to an astrologer who had no idea about anything except for this this two dimensional diagram. Okay. They would say you were put on this earth to be a healer. Okay. That's one of the first things that they would say. All right. And so my experience. Okay without astrology, all right, I was put on this earth to be a football player, okay, that's my story, all right, and it was a powerful story, and there was a certain point in my career where I was thinking about, is this really, the question, without any astrology, is this really what I'm supposed to be doing, right, you know, and I really thought about it, and the sense that I got when I really thought about it was,
0: no. Like, you felt like you should be doing more,
1: Not necessarily more. I felt like I should be doing something different because there's not much more you can do than being a professional athlete. It requires so much. I felt like I I was wasting my energy entertaining people and that I was actually put on the
0: earth to help people. I meant in terms of impact.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Well, I I don't want to make it more or less. You know, it's different, right? Because, you know, someone could be famous, right, and have a huge impact on a lot of, on a lot of people, but they're not being true to themselves. And so the impact that they're having is massive, but to the person, it's not really what they're supposed to be doing. As opposed, someone could be doing what they're true, what they're truly doing, you know, what they're truly meant to be doing, and they might impact a tenth of the people, but that impact is so meaningful because it's an expression of who that person is, that it's different. So that's why I don't like to think of it as more or less, because as a professional athlete, I was impacting a lot of people. The amount of people that I impact now with astrology right now is not close to as many people, but it's a much more profound impact.
2: Speaking of the relationship between who you are, because you're a very deep person. You're, you're sensitive not only to yourself, but to the people that you help and things like that. But football is a violent game. And you in particular played it violently. I don't know if you ran angry on purpose, but from our perspective, you were a you didn't go down on first contact. Yeah. So that mindset, was that something like when I'm on the field, nobody's taking me down. And when I'm off, I'm who I am. I'm Ricky. Or is it kind of a middle ground?
1: I don't think it's, I don't think it's either. I think it's <clears throat> ideally it's an integration. And sometimes I think, you know, this is what I was saying about what sign are you as we get typecasted is that we can, we can only function in one dimension, you know, and it's not true but what we tend to do is we compartmentalize our lives, right? I'll be this person on the football field, I'll be this person in a relationship, and we try, but the reality is certain parts spill over and it get us us in trouble. So I learned the hard way that I have to integrate it all. And And what people don't realize about being the kind of football player that I was, I wouldn't have been able to play 11 years being that physical if I wasn't sensitive enough to be able to take care of myself. Because the whole point of sensitivity is to nurture, is to take care of yourself. Because if you're not sensitive to what feels a little bit off, you know, then it's going to get worse and worse to the point where you're going to be, miss a lot of time. But if you're sensitive, oh, this feels a little bit off and you spend a little extra time taking care of it, you stay healthier and you're able to recover faster. So people don't realize that part of being a successful warrior is you have to be able to recover. And that requires sensitivity.
2: Life works in opposites. It's, and I'm sure that's a lot of what you do is, is I've noticed it just in my life, like the yin and yang, whatever you want to call it. Um, many of the people who maybe are outwardly the most assertive or whatever in their jobs or whatever are often um, the most sensitive or quiet when they were children and they feel the need to, and I know even in my own life, I was a very, I'm a comedian now, but I was a very shy, still am kid. Mm-hmm. And, and that kind of, um, pressure to like, I need to say, I need to, you know, and, and matched with the observational skills make for somebody who actually is a good public speaker in a weird, you know, way that you would have never seen coming. And with your life, I'm sure you didn't see, like you said, see this coming when you were a kid in San Diego or wherever else. Yeah.
1: Well, it's, it's unfortunate in our culture, we tend to overemphasize and worship young success, you know, early success. Um, but a lot of times, early success comes from an extreme, because you haven't had enough experience in life to have balance. And so, someone might be really talented in one direction, but they only develop in that one direction. And so, we see that we see it in athletes, we see it in child actors, right? Is that it doesn't end well for them, you know? Uh, and so, the reality is, life is about balance, because if you don't have balance, you go to extremes and something breaks, right? But the ability to be sensitive enough to what the crowd wants to hear and be confident enough to deliver it You know, as a speaker, right? That's the, that's the gift. The speaker that's very powerful. He might move people, but some people are going to be like, what's he talking about? The one that's too sensitive might be too uncertain about what to say that it doesn't come off, but someone who has that balance, right? People in the audience feel seen, right? And they feel moved at the same time. And I think that's just one example, but I think it can manifest that way in any area of life that when someone is, is balanced, which means they can go both ways, right. Then they're better able to meet any obstacle and adapt to any situation that, that occurs.
2: Do you feel now at this point in your life, you're reaching that point of balance that you, I guess we all should aspire to.
1: Well, I think I'm, <laughs> i I think we're, it's homeostasis. So I don't think it ever, it ever ends, but I think, um, to me, the whole point of balance is productivity, I talked about a football player who's not sensitive enough to know when he needs to take a break or slow down or take care of himself, right? He's there for half the season, right? Kills it, but then he gets hurt and he can't finish the rest of the season. So I think in order to be productive, you have to have that kind of balance. And so I think I've, I've tuned into the idea of balance and now I just raised the level of what I can, of what I'm producing.
0: You mentioned yoga. I've been doing it a lot in my career, as far as like flexibility and like, you know, tight hips, hamstrings. Like I do a lot of hot yoga. Is that the kind of yoga that you do? No, I mean I I first
1: learned yoga here, but then I I trained in India and it wasn't hot yoga. But is it it way different? But it was always hot. Um, (laughs) it it's way different. Yeah, it's not different for me because that's the tradition that I came up in. I didn't start going to yoga classes like. You know, at a gym or even at a studio. I started going to yoga classes at a yoga ashram or monastery where people do that all day, with Um, like monks
0: or yeah, exactly. No way. Yeah, I mean, is it the same like poses? It's
1: the same. It's the same for the most part. It's the same poses, but the way you approach the poses and the purpose of the poses is different. So everything, everything that we do in the ashram, yoga wise, is to prepare us for meditation. Oh, you meditate afterwards. We meditate after. So we do, we meditate twice a day and we do yoga twice a day and it's a daily practice. So it's more of doing yoga on a daily basis, improves, helps you deepen your
0: meditation. Interesting. So like your Shavasana just leads into meditation? Exactly.
1: Well, so the Shavasana is the practice of meditation. Okay. Yeah. It's like, you know, when... So in the beginning, we, we start every morning at 6 o'clock with meditation. And so for someone comes in from off the street and they sit down for the first time at 6 a.m. and they try to meditate. The mind is all over the place. That's how I feel. Yeah. In life. yeah. Someone, do you do a yoga class? Right. You'll notice the, the first 5, 10 minutes of yoga class, your mind is like this. But if it's a good teacher and you're focused within a half an hour, you're like so focused on what you're doing. The mind is so focused. And from that focus state going into shavasana, it's easy for the it's easy to get to that relaxed state. Mm-hmm. And so the concentration and the focus on our bodies, which all of us have learned to do, is a tool to help the mind focus to prepare itself for meditation. Mm. And the the good health and the flexibility, all of that, those are side effects.
0: Yeah, That's the way we talk about it. No, I I noticed because it does put you in a meditative state, because it's so difficult. It's like, it's just, I put the same way, like, really hard workout or like running, or like, that's why I love football as yeah. well. Cause when you're on the field, like, I, you physically can't think of anything else because, I mean, to some extent, your health's on the line. Yeah. That's like, meditation.
1: I, that's meditation. That's, yeah. Meditation just means whatever it is, you're focused on one thing. I love that. Yeah. Cause otherwise, my mind's just going crazy. Yep, yeah. Exactly. And I wow. think, especially for athletes, yoga is great because we're so used to using our focus and concentration on our
0: body. Yeah. That once we tap in, and again, if there's a good teacher, we're like there. Yeah, it's like a hot. It's like a runner's high. Yeah. Afterwards, for the next like two hours, I'm just feel unbelievable. Yeah. After like a hot yoga stash. have you tried it? Yeah, I've tried a little bit of yoga.
2: I hot struggle yoga with though? the same hot yoga. Yeah. yeah, I've struggled with the same. Thing. And I knew it was always um, the mental state was kind of the primary purpose of it. Yeah. For us, where you know, like you said, when you're young, like I man, my hips tight. I yeah. need to you know, I need to get in there. Also, it's it's
1: tough. Because yoga for athletes, it activates the part of us that's
0: competitive. Oh, yeah. Uh, I'm in there, and I'm like, it's all these uh, like women in their like 40s, and I'm the only dude, and yeah. like they're kicking my ass every time. Yeah. Yeah. So part of the practice is,
1: you know, it, it's kind of like it's, instead of competing with them, more competing with yourself. But yeah. the competing with yourself is more nuance of recognizing what muscles do I need to... Relax right now. What muscles do I need to activate right now? And that focus and that attention to the detail of what muscles, that's what allows you to go deeper into the postures. It's more of the concentration and the focus than it is pushing yourself into a certain posture.
2: And there's obviously a mind-body connection there, which makes me wonder about like diet, for instance. We were talking a little bit about that. But do you have a regimented diet of things you eat? Are there cheat foods that you love? Are there things that you like to do? Of course, of
1: course. So what I've learned is listen to my body. You know, and it it works in two ways. One one version of listening to my body is what does my body want to eat right now? What does my body not want to eat right now? Okay? And the other thing of listening to my body is like if I'm craving something, you know, then I'll ask myself, is there anything in my, is there any other way in my life that I can meet this craving than just food? You know? Because that, I think, and sometimes, you know, like, I'm a fan of emotional eating, right? Especially if you realize what you're doing, right? Because it does help you feel good to eat foods that that are sweet or that remind you of good times. But if you only allow that to be the way you nurture yourself, then obviously it's not going to be healthy for you. And so if I am find myself, same thing, eating emotionally, I enjoy it. But I say, okay, what other ways in my life can I do a better job nurturing myself?
0: How was your experience in India? Was that the first place you went when you retired? Because I know you traveled a lot. You said Thailand. I went to Australia. I went to Thailand and Australia first,
1: and then I went to India.
0: And I heard a story where you just spun the globe, and that was where? (laughs) Is that really what happened? Yeah, it's really what happened. And it landed in Australia. Yeah. So you just, so you retire, you're the best back in the league, you retire in your prime, and then you're like, all right, I'm just dipping to Australia. With, like, no plan. You're just like, let's see what happens. Well, yeah because I was 27 and I'd lived my
1: whole life you know in one direction and I realized that direction was gave me a lot of experiences but it, it had little to do with what I felt what I was really supposed to be doing and so I knew that I needed to go on some adventure you know most kids you know we read that book the The Alchemist you know, and I read that book never. yeah What's that? and it's just it's about a guy who goes on a trip you know okay. and so I read that book and I thought, I need that right now.
2: Okay. And I could afford it, and so I did it. I was about to say because if you spin the globe and and good thing you hit Australia because you're close to the middle of the ocean and that right. would you had to bring flippers you know what
1: exactly I mean? yeah that <laughs> would have been tough yeah, yeah what if that, I was... would have spun again if <laughs> yeah. I was like a gate
0: probably just don't tell anybody yeah just like... <laughs> yeah this is meant to be what if it was like North Korea or somewhere oh we're gonna go to North gone Korea. anywhere, just ask gone anywhere. really what if there was like war
1: so uh, here's the thing right like I, I believe that the universe I'm an astrologer so I believe that the universe speaks to us and all we have to do is just be open to pay attention. And so I knew if I did that, that wherever I landed, it would be it would be meaningful. Otherwise, like fate? I would, that- yeah. Well, it's synchronicity is the word is the word that we use now. I know if I had because if you think, where does the thought come from to spin the globe? Right? There's something trying to communicate something to me, and it's saying the way that I can communicate to you is through a symbol or through a sign. Mm-hmm. And so the message to me was if you. Sp- because I knew I wanted to go somewhere, but I didn't know where to go. And so the, the message came, spin the globe, and wherever it lands, that's going to be some significance. There's going to be some significance in whatever comes out of it.
0: So what was trying to communicate with you, you think?
1: Um, we can call it the universe. You can call it my guardian angel. You can call it God. You can call it my grandma. But something that we can't see, something, something benevolent, something that has information that I don't have access to. And that benevolence motivates it to communicate and let me know, right? Sometimes in the football field, right? I'd be running and I'd just know kind of out
0: of the blue that there was Instinct. something right here. Yeah. So you think that that plays a role in like, like things that you're not thinking of consciously, whether it be on the football field, like what will hold a cut or in this instance, like, Hey, I just need to get out of here. You think that's yeah. just,
1: well, it's, it's not conscious, but. But there's something in us that has been trained over and over. That's why in practice, that's why we do the drills so much. Because if you get something and you do it so so much that your consciousness says, okay, I don't need to waste energy on this, okay? This can turn into automatic. And so it frees our resources to, to be able to handle other things. And if you look at like the the how we've evolved, right? We evolved in the African savannah with tall grass, and we don't know if there's a lion waiting there to gobble us up. Yeah. And so... Part of survival, because if you didn't learn know how to tune into the instincts, right? You didn't survive. And so, part of how you know we've we've evolved to this point is being in tune with our with our instincts.
0: I heard Australia is a good time.
1: Yeah, Australians like to have a good time. Aussies <laughs>
0: are Aussies are fun. Yeah, yeah. it looks fun. Yeah. Um, yeah, women are beautiful. Weather is insane. I feel like everyone's fit, young. Down to earth
1: the Aussies are really down to earth Really? Really down to earth They just want to have a good time If you're a good person Right That's all That's all that really matters
0: What'd you do out there? When I say
1: good person If you're like smiling And down to have a good time And you're relaxed Okay good vibes Good good vibes
2: Yeah And I know you probably don't Tend to think of things In better or worse Or you know Things -hmm. have their place But if there was another place In the world that you could live Other than where you are right now Mm -hmm. um, What would Where would that be?
1: Hmm Live, that's an interesting word. Um, I'd say live for a year. Yeah. you know because to me I feel like so much of what I everything I do is tied to the work that I'm doing. And so for me, living in the place where I could best do my work, you know would check the box. Um, but I really like Bali. I really like Bali. I could live there for a year. Uh, I really liked um, the northern part of Thailand. Mm-hmm. I feel like I could live there for a year. I'm sure there's somewhere in India that I could live for a year. It'd have to be chill. India is kind of intense,
0: like um, the big cities. You're saying,
1: yeah, way, way too it's too intense. many people. Even some of the countrysides are intense.
0: How for, so? Like what? Me.
1: Well, um, especially when the when the where the weather is intense. You know? Mm. Um, you know, it's like if you live in the countryside, you spend the whole day pretty much in the fields working. Yeah. yeah.
0: There's a lot of Indians up here, huh? We had some really good Indian food last night.
1: Yeah. In Northern,
0: California. Northern California. Yeah, we, we noticed yeah. there's tons. Yeah, Northern
2: California. great Indian food around here. So you... It's interesting to see because, again, like the balance of things. Um, you center yourself, but you're very plugged in and passionate about your work. Mm-hmm. So if you want to talk about that, that would be fantastic what you're doing right now. and
1: Yeah, so... It's funny, when I when I was playing football, I never thought I would become a businessman or an entrepreneur or any of that. Um, but I retired and I followed my passions. Um, it's funny, both of my passions are things that are kind of stigmatized and taboo, cannabis and astrology. But yeah. I, I started two companies, Heisman, and I launched an astrology app, Leela, and then I have my astrological uh, consulting practice. Uh, and what all those have to do is really encouraging people to get in touch with who they really are and then be that on purpose you know and it comes from my story you know I thought I needed to be a famous football player to be somebody um but I realized that wasn't very fulfilling and when I tapped into my truest deepest passions that's when I feel most alive uh and astrology helped me do that and cannabis helped me do that you know, cannabis helped me let go of this false idea of who I was supposed to be and really get in touch to how I really felt about things. Uh, and then astrology gave me clarity about what was truly important to me and encouraged me to follow to follow those passions.
0: Yeah. With the cannabis thing, you mentioned, like, the stigma. And it's interesting, like, Cole and I were talking about it a little bit before, but I always grew up with the idea that, you know, it slows you down or, like, it, it doesn't help you be productive. And especially playing football. You know, like, you're not supposed to do it. And so, like, that kind of adds to the whole thing. And so I've never smoked or anything like that before in my life. And I've I've just been listening to, like, a lot of your podcasts on different shows. And you had that one story at UT where your roommate offered you a hit. And then the next two games, you ran for over 300 yards. And then you won the Heisman Trophy that year. And it kind of, like, in a way, changed the course of your career Mm -hmm. because it allowed you to... Like Reduce anxiety and like and just think about the game rather than and then you mentioned like something with uh, The quarterback sleeping with your with yeah. your girl, which Most, is nuts. Yeah,
1: yeah. I, was, I mean they're married now. So good for them But um, like you no, no way <laughs> yeah. Okay, so yeah.
0: still married, good but yeah. for them. Yeah, I, I would be so day. salty like how are you not throwing hands? Yeah. I was focused on others. All right, guys, we're going to take a quick break to tell you about what the boys over at Prize Picks are cooking up for you. They created the simplest and number one daily fantasy sports app. I can make my picks and submit the entries in less than 60 seconds. That's less than a minute to not only make some money, but also add some extra excitement to the game. I'm telling you, there is nothing like having some extra stakes attached to a game when you're hanging out with the boys on a Saturday afternoon. So go to pricepicks.com forward slash momentum and use code momentum for a first deposit match up to a hundred dollars. Now back to the episode.
1: Things. This is, you know, we talk, we've kind of talked around it. Like one of the things when people start to meditate, right? Yeah. What they all say is I noticed that things that used to bother me don't bother me so much anymore. Right? Even because, back then though? Yeah. Because whatever, whatever we pay attention to, right? that's what's gonna bother us. If we don't pay attention to it, it's not gonna bother us. And so wherever we put our attention, whatever we focus on, if I spent all my time thinking about him and my girl doing whatever they're doing, I'd have been miserable. I think that's that's one of the beautiful things about having, we talked about sports, but also cannabis, having a short-term memory, mm. right? If you forget about something that's worrying you, then guess what? while you forgot about it, you ain't worrying about it. And even more importantly, if you direct your attention to something that feels good to you, something that you can do something productive, right? then you, you use your energy to solve
2: problems. See, here's the, here's the way that I would look at it. And I don't know if this is healthy, but it has been productive. Say I was in that situation where something like that happened. I would use that anger and channel it. And that's what they teach you in in football, right? Run angry, you know, play angry. And it, It works, but I'm sure there's a negative side to it. Not really. Really? So that even, that's okay.
1: So in psychology, they talk about sublimation. And what you just talked about is sublimation. You take a destructive energy that would drive you crazy and you put it somewhere where it can be useful. Where I would say if someone only did that and they never got to the source of what choices they were making to keep putting themselves in situations that were pissing them off.
2: Where they're getting that energy
1: exactly, is, right. exactly. Right. Then then it becomes an issue. But if you're sublimating it but also dealing with the cause of the issue, um in the cause of the issue is just, you know, it's kind of sublimation. It's just finding things that you're really passionate about. You know, then anger is raised to a higher frequency of to passion.
2: Are you still very plugged into the NFL? And what goes, are you still a, a fan?
1: I wouldn't say I'm plugged in as far as like knowing the stats and all and mm-hmm. who the players are, but anytime a game is on, I'm plugged into yeah. football.
0: Right. And I can't. I can't. You help love it. like the game, like yes. scheme, exactly. Right. exactly. Yeah. Yeah. You think you could coach? Hell yeah, I could point. coach. Well, like, I, I, know I did you can, coach. But like, would you? No,
1: no, no. If someone gave me an opportunity, I'd coach, and I'd be a extremely. I'd be a really good coach. So I, I coached running backs for one year at a, at a small college in San Antonio, and. I work with those kids and all, they broke records. Really? They broke records, you know, because to me, I had good coaches, but the best coach I ever had was me coaching myself. Yeah. And and I just used the same general techniques that I used to get the best out of myself, to get the best out of the, the kids that I coached.
0: Like if UT wanted you to be the head coach, would you say, yeah?
1: Hell yeah. I, I mean. That'd be that, sick.
0: That's a stretch. But have even, like a Dion effect. Even
1: if a small, it'd be bigger than Dion effect. Mm-hmm. Even if a smaller school offered me offer me, you know, because again, I, I have, when I say better than Dion or different than Dion is because I'm an astrologer. And so when I'm coaching these kids, I'm not just looking at what I see with my eyes. I'm looking at something deeper mm-hmm. and I'll be able to access and tap into deeper levels of, of motivation and, and skill development than, than others because I have that added
2: level of clarity. If you were running a program, would you holistically implement a lot of the things that you do here with the football players?
1: 100%. That, that would be my main motivation for wanting to do it is because of my own experiences, both the physical part of the game, the mental, emotional side, and learning to not only coach myself, but to heal and nurture myself through that process. I think I could give them all wonderful tools to be able to get the most out of their abilities.
2: You have to assemble a... Uh, Pretty understanding assistant coaching staff. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I might have yeah. to call in some old friends. I
0: have to do. I have to do a lot of training. I have yeah. to call yeah. some old friends. And I have to do a lot of training. You yeah. could use that with recruiting too. Like you would know in theory. Oh, I'm telling you, right. that's a whole nother yeah. level. <laughs> you
1: know, because because with astrology, you can get a sense of who someone is, but you can also get a sense of the things that they're going to go through. Mm. You know? and so if you you know if you look at a chart and you see someone is going through a time where they're gonna be like learning how to be su- successful. Right, you want to recruit those guys because you know they're going to be manifesting success, and you can help train them how to handle it and how to build on it. Yeah.
0: Well, shoot, maybe you could take over at Vandy. We need a uh, we need a change out there in Nashville, man. Yeah, my, my wife she went to she went to law school of Vandy. Oh no right. way. Yeah. Oh, it's cool. I, I did my undergrad there. I played there. Yeah. Yeah. Man. It's awesome. You have been to Nashville? I have. Oh, it's sure have. you like it. It's a cool town. It's a really cool town. You like country music?
1: Yep. So you know, my I think it was my senior year. Senior year, yeah. Vandy had a really, really good defense. I think they put like what year was Five. That? This was nineteen ninety-eight. I think uh, they put like four or five defensive players into the NFL. I think their whole linebacking crew played in the NFL. And they were studs. Y'all played them? We didn't play against them. Uh, I just remember because just... you know, Vandy's not typically known as a football
0: school, no. but that year, that year they made they made some noise. Yeah, we've had ups and downs. Like under the Franklin, yeah, there's like they're winning like nine games is like. Yeah, it's elite. For, yeah, that's you know, you guys are in a tough, tough conference. Yeah, with the academic restrictions. and Yeah, that, it's time. It's time to go. Can we be on? They no, gotta, it's not. Come bro. on, no, it's, it's time to go. No, it's you. a sleeping giant. When when Ricky gets there, man, yeah, it's sleeping. We're, right. we're about to be in the playoffs. I think
2: they're, you know, I
1: think they're more. Of very a Big East. I think
0: they're a Big East team. Well, there's no Big East anymore. Well, what?
1: What's what replaced the Big, Big East? Town?
0: Or no, the, big, the, the ACC or
1: ACC. Yeah, I, that's what I mean. I think they're
0: more get of an in, ACC the, team. Get in the ACC. They're an no. ACC. Team. No, they're not. Oh my God. You don't no, think? They, <laughs> uh, the, last year they beat Kentucky and Florida.
2: Remember, we're talking about letting things go, Mo. We're talking about you got to let it in the universe. <laughs> oh, you
0: got to let the Alabamas. We're One of the Auburns founding institutions go. in the Southeastern Conference. That,
2: that is there. Yeah, that is. As the Your grads can run the finance department for the SEC or whatever, and then let the football players play. Uh, I do Clemson think it's possible
0: if Stanford yeah. can consistently, under the Harbaugh years, be a national championship contender. I think it's very possible. You're in a great city. Think of all the other SEC cities. Like as a recruit, do I want to live in Nashville, Tennessee, or? Oxford, Mississippi. But to me, that's not really an SEC
1: conversation because people go to the SEC to play football, not to have quality of well, life. Well, I'm saying if, if I'm pitching
0: a recruit, like that's that's a, a component of it.
1: But I think that works in that works better in a different conference.
0: Mm. SEC, well, SEC, well, you what's know, separating besides the tradition?
1: Well, but to me, I, I think if someone goes to an SEC school and I'm putting Texas in this category now, that what they're saying is the priori- the my primary Focus is football, not even other sports. My primary focus is football, right? Where Vandy can field good football teams, but never are they going to say,
0: I go to Vanderbilt primarily to be a football player. But that can be used as a competitive advantage for a subset of kids, maybe someone like you. Help,
1: I'm, you, you. Now you're on it. See, I would love to coach somewhere. Like, I would love to coach somewhere in Vandy, and I would go recruit all the smart kids. That's what I'm saying. I would recruit all the smart kids in the country and say, let's go take over. Let's go take over the SEC and show them that smart people can That's play football. That's what I'm football. saying. I'll be your OC. Yeah. Yeah, let's, yeah, go. Yeah, let's go. Yeah, let's, yeah, do yeah. It. let's do it. I'm with <laughs> it.
0: <laughs> we'll send this to the AD. Yeah. <laughs> let's let's take it. over the SEC. Let's do it. Um, but Texas going to the SEC, what do you think? Uh, move? Uh, it's a great move. Yeah?
1: Mainly, you know, I'm biased, but mainly we get to play AM again.
0: We mm. get to whoop up on the eggs. Well, they, they weren't playing them before. No,
1: but for years, you know, 100 years maybe. I don't know, am exaggerating, but a whole lot of years we played against AM. It was the biggest, the last game of the year, the biggest rivalry game. And then we lost it when they went to the SEC. Yeah. And so it's coming back. Is that think, the game
0: you had like 44 carries? I
1: mean, yeah, I think I'm, I think second in NCAA history for most yards against a common an
0: opponent. <laughs> so you were just beating up on right? Really, <laughs> I was yeah. beating up on it. You are just A&M's dad. You're just... Yeah, I was.
2: <laughs> Which was interesting that they were the school to make the jump to the SEC because people didn't think that they were going to be able to hack it competition-wise. And then, you know, Manziel came and things changed, you know, quickly for them. That is them, interesting.
0: They were kind of like the first log in the whole conference realignment thing, too.
2: Yeah,
1: they were. They were there. That was the, the, the first big push. Um And – Johnny Manziel came at the at the right time and Johnny. really helped them
0: enter enter the SEC
1: and make a name for themselves. And
0: you know. I always thought OU was a bigger rival. That's I'd say it's about the same. It's different.
1: Yeah. You know? Just OU, in our
0: times,
2: I guess, because yeah. we've only seen it. Yeah.
1: Exactly. OU's a rival because you get this, you know the state, you know, the mm-hmm. state against Oklahoma against Texas. And also it's a big school thing, like all the students from both schools, meet in Dallas for the game. But just for the state, owning the state of Texas, you know, a th- it's a bigger rivalry. You know, they call us T-Sips. You know, we What's make fun mean? of them and um, that we sip tea, you know, that we're liberal because Austin, oh, now, where okay, we, and okay. we say, you know, that they have sex with their goats. <laughs> they're, they're an agricultural
0: school. Um, yeah, like the rural school versus, like, the exactly. bigger city liberals. Exactly. Oh, that's yeah. interesting. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, I didn't even think of it that way. That's it. Yeah, yeah
2: oh. well, Austin versus uh, College Station. Now it's College Station versus California. Yeah. That's at this point. Now they're really, <laughs> we're sipping,
0: you know, different types of herbal teas. Exactly, over there. different kinds yeah. <laughs> of teas over here. Yeah. Ayahuasca. It. Yeah. yeah. got it. What was your experience with that?
1: With ayahuasca? Yeah. Um, You know, for me, with, with most... Of uh, these entheogens uh, or psychedelics, it's um, it's a more profound body based form of meditation. Mm. You know, like
0: it, it it, it takes skips me to that steps. same place. It just puts you there quicker. You're saying, well,
1: it, it I, I wouldn't say it skips steps because most of them your body you have to pay a physical price. <laughs> well, <Whoa, laughs> what's know? that? Because I'm I mean, sc- it, I'm scared
0: of a bad trip.
1: Well, the bad trip is more the mental price. The physical price is. You know a lot of times in ayahuasca, there's a purge. Right? What does that mean? So, you know, it's funny, it's like you, the way I think of it, there's always a price to pay, you know. And so, when we whether it's cannabis or, or ayahuasca or psilocybin, we're, we're asking for a heightened level of experience, okay? You know, we're raising our vibrate, our frequency. So, there's often something we have to sacrifice for that, you know, and sometimes. Uh, ayahuasca, you purge. So take the ayahuasca, and sometimes you know I feel it like moving through my body, getting the toxins out, and then ah, you know even when you sit in ayahuasca, they'll they'll pass around
0: a bucket. That know? can't be good for you. Everyone's just yakking.
1: It's not. It's not the same thing as vomiting because often it's not food.
0: It's, okay.
1: It's it's something else. Okay. So for instance, um, let's say you had an injury playing football. Okay. And for an athlete, when we have injuries, it's not only physical, it becomes deeply emotional because either it's our livelihood or it's what our identity is based off of. And so if we're not able to do that because we're hurt, it messes with us, you know? And so you'll see a lot of athletes psychologically, they have old injuries, but attached to the injuries is trauma, like psychological trauma you know and oftentimes as they work through the physical injury that trauma has to be released too in order for the body to become to come back to health and so oftentimes our our psychological traumas have a physical component to them and so when you take the ayahuasca in order to access the psychological trauma the medicine in our body actually goes out and locates those places where we're storing the toxins that are stuck in our body and so, a lot of times when we purge, that's what we're purging, because even sometimes you'll see people will sweat, right? Yeah. And you'll purge from because it's the body trying to release things that it no longer wants anymore, and that's part of the physical healing process that leads to the more emotional, spiritual healing side of psychedelics.
2: What that's- I really like about um- just the way you view these different things is that you talk to some people who are like, Oh, I did this. I did this. And it seems like that's the end is like marijuana or ayahuasca The way you look at it. I don't want to make it seem like it's dismissive, but dismissive, but it's like, this is a tool so I can get yeah, here.
1: Yeah, exactly. That's all it, it. it is
2: is a tool to help me get to where I need to get to. It could be anything. Yeah. And, I, and I'm open to, to tools. Exactly. But I think that's kind of the perception that I hope more people have, yeah. you know, instead of, Oh, this taboo thing I'm doing. And then you go back to your normal life. It's like, no, no, no. Yeah. There should be a purpose. Exactly. Or why do it?
1: Cause if you have a purpose and an aim, then you can judge, okay, this was helpful. This was successful or this wasn't, or this was su- successful. I got some insight, but man, it wasn't worth it. I'm not doing that again. Right. And then you find other ways to get to the same point in ways that are more pleasurable, more enjoyable for you.
0: I heard psilocybin is a really good tool as well, especially for athletes. I was listening, you know, that Paul Stamets. Yeah. Guy. Mm-hmm. I was listening to him on Rogan talking about it and, like, all these athletes who are microdosing it. And there was one dude, he's on, like, the U.S. karate team. He microdoses it, so it's, like, you're not getting high, but in theory you're still getting, like, benefits from it. Mm -hmm. And he talks about being able to see his opponent's moves before they happen, Mm -hmm. which is trippy. And then there's all these, like, mice studies with – like traumatic brain injuries with psilocybin, which for me, like I've had a few concussions, so yeah. that piqued my interest. And like anyone who's played football, obviously you're getting hit in the head. Yeah. Um, but just general benefits, it like it blew my mind the whole mushroom thing. Like the mycelium world is yeah. wild.
1: I mean, it's it blows our mind because it's like we're in this this crossover time where what the scientists are now finding out through modern research, if you go back to indigenous people. They were saying the same thing. Mm. They weren't using the scientific language because they had different different means of of perceiving truth. But they came to the same conclusions. And I think it's great now that we have the science to prove it, but I don't think we should be as... We should be more surprised with, wow, how did these indigenous cultures that were, you know, walk the earth thousands of years ago, how did they know this? Yeah. Because there's, you know, cannabis, psilocybin, these are things that were used to assist in hunting.
0: Yeah, well, that was one of the theories as to why, like, brain matter made such a big leap. Like, you know that theory? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. And um, just in terms of, like, hunter-gatherers picking up mushrooms and eating them. Yeah. And, I mean, it's it's a theory, I guess, amongst many. But I guess it, it would make sense. Oh uh, Hell yeah, it would make sense. And I, I Creativity, think, storytelling um, probably just makes you a better hunter in general.
1: Yeah, I think it become more clear part of i think the the problem with modern mind is our minds are so cluttered with useless information you know and i think back there it was simple right is we're so hungry we're hungry yeah we have yeah. to eat you know <laughs> and so whatever whatever increases my ability to hunt and eat and survive you
0: know that's what that's what they people focused on yeah have you tried mushrooms too? i have yeah yeah how was it i
1: pretty much tried everything you know tool tool wise I find with me, psilocybin creates, and I don't mean this, I think this is part of the healing effect is it creates a distortion and that distortion can create a reset. And I think it's wonderful for a lot of people, but personally for me, I prefer that the expansive feeling of cannabis, you know, and, and it's, it's an expansive and an increased sensitivity but it's not a distortion and i don't mean distortion in a negative way yeah. i mean sometimes looking at something in a different way it unlocks us and it helps us see more clearly what do you mean by reset reset um, meaning okay have you ever like been stuck in a in a like a repetitive thought pattern
0: worrying about something like if you're trying to find a solution to something yes. but you're just thinking of the same you can't think of yes. a different idea exactly. okay
1: exactly or it's worry is another way to say it yeah. and then you talk to a friend and they give you a completely different way of looking at it, yeah. And it like resets you, yeah. you know. That's what I mean. And I and I mean cannabis, fasting, meditation, mm-hmm. all of these things can create that that reset. I didn't even consider fasting in
0: that sense. Yeah, like how, how many uh, hours?
1: Fasting, um, you know, there's intermittent fasting, but to me, like a 24-hour fast is an amazing reset button. Whoa.
0: you know. Like you just feel your mind's cuz i do feel like my mind's more clear like i've done intermittent like you know 8 to 12 which is yeah. standard like yeah. a lot of people do that mm-hmm. but like once it's like 10 11 a.m. i'm hungry but i feel like my mind's way sharper yeah
1: there's a, and there's a the reset comes if you can overcome that yeah you know because you're it's a way of showing your mind who's boss mm. you know because the like eating is so important cuz it's part of our survival um, but when you show your conscious mind that there's things more important than my physical survival right now it's a magical reset it's like your body starts to listen more
2: do you re- recommend the longer 48 72 or what's your
1: expertise you know, on this if if you have a, this is where I would look at someone's astrological chart but if you're in the right mindset and you have the your schedule allows it and you you would like a reset oh uh, there's nothing like it there's nothing like a to me, the longest I've gone is seven days with just water. Seven days? Mm-hmm. Oh my God. That's extreme. And I again I was this is when I was retired and I was traveling, so I wasn't doing anything. So I I, I had the luxury of being able to do it. I wouldn't suggest it for everyone, but if it calls to you, be open-minded to, to, to see. Experiment. How is that? it like day it three was amazing. four? You just so like day, day's, starving. Day three and four. Day three was the hardest. But after day three, it's like I got over a, this hump where I realized. So much of our need for food is conditioned. Mm. Even even when a baby is first born, the baby's not hungry. The baby just wants warmth and a hug. It's not until you keep sho- shoving the nipple in the baby's mouth and then it finally starts to taste it that it's sweet. That it starts to develop hunger. And so hunger, it's we we're set for it, but it's can the eating is so conditioned, right? You see, whenever uh, we do it with our kid, right? Whenever a kid is crying, right. Give them some food, right? right That's yeah. back to comfort food, right? There's something in our conditioning that food has become the number one way we comfort ourselves. And understanding that, but not always being s-
0: enslaved to that idea. So it's like the body doesn't need the food because you can survive for like weeks. But you're saying overcoming that urge to do it. And then once you pass that bubble then, or that like threshold rather then you kind of like reteach your brain is that you
1: reteach of- yeah you reteach your brain and your body uh it resets your relationship to food and cuz it was weird okay. when i so after the 7 days it was weird because i didn't have the same mind patterns to decide what to eat ooh you know it wasn't just automatic right i had to really ask myself what is going to feel good to put into my body right now
0: yeah and, and did it change? Like, you had different tastes for yeah. things? Huh. I became a vegetarian. After that? Mm-hmm. Really? Yeah. It changed? Wow. I mean, that's... that's You just didn't like... To, the, didn't, to this day, you don't eat meat?
1: I mean, I, I, I was a veget. That was 2004. I was a vegetarian until
2: 2012. And what made you say I need to, you know, just go back? It to wasn't me. even
1: I need to. It was just my body. Yeah. Because e- even that, I wasn't. I wasn't planning to be a vegetarian. I just asked myself, what do I want to eat? And food just became. I mean, meat just became like repulsive.
0: Kind of. We're just. I don't like. I don't feel like I have a need for it. Wow. Huh. Why is that? Do you think? Because you know, I guess biologically, like humans are omnivores. Well. So we, we we put
1: humans all in one category, you know, okay. but you see even in a family, right? There's different dietary requirements for people. Some people need more carbs. Some people need more protein. Some people need more fat. Some people need more exercise. We're all, we're all different, but mm-hmm. the way we're taught to eat is not to listen to our bodies and what, what feels good to us. It's to eat whatever our parents cook or buy us or whatever we see on TV that we want. So I think if we get back to asking our bodies what we want, we're going to see that we have peculiar diets that change with the seasons, right? When I say seasons, I might par- partially, I mean, the, you know, summer, spring, fall, all that. But part of it is the seasons of our life, right? If you're in a time where you're going to more emotional turmoil, right? There's probably going to be shifts in your diet that can support that what's going on in your life. If you're in times, obviously, training camp where there's more physical toil, you're going to have to adjust your diet to be able to meet the needs of of what your body, what your being is, like more protein is, is doing. exactly. And I think for all of us, it's different, but we tend not to pay that close attention to what's different about this this day, this week, this yeah. month, this year, and how can I nurture myself in a way that puts me in the best situation to thrive.
0: Aren't there issues, though, with kind of like only eating what would feel good because then I'd just be eating all salty and sugary. Like, I'd just be eating If you were listening
1: to your body, then you would see it would
0: change. Mm. It would change. Because, like, I have to force myself to eat, you know, like, grilled chicken and, you know, quinoa and rice. Like, if it were just... If everything had the same nutritional value and I didn't have to worry about taste then i would just be eating doritos and pizza though and maybe there's that's not
1: true though that's what you tell yourself because of our training of a kid that we're not allowed to eat those things it's more of a reaction and that's part of what we reset if you truly were asking your body you ate a dorito you would know because it would taste really good and then you would eat two and it would taste really good and then you get to four and it would taste bland because if you were really in it for the actual flavor of it See, like, what happens is we get into the habit of just popping things. We're not even tasting it anymore. Mm. Even your favorite food—if you just took time and really tasted it, those first two or three bites would be ah. Uh, but then you would see four, five, and six, it would start to fall off, and then you would you would slide it away. And I guarantee there's times in your life where inadvertently you were doing that, right? Something that you thought you would like, and you had a couple bites, and you were like,
0: "I'm good." What about, like, some of the chemicals they're putting in, like, candies or, like, chips and stuff that, like, they know that it's going to make you want more and it's, like, addictive or something like that? Well, this is sugar, right? Yeah. Basically, it's sugar. But the the training
1: of our bodies is that things that are sweet are nutritious for us. And, and our, you know, the, the way we eat is is evolved so much faster than our body's nature. Yeah. And so in nature, sweets weren't around a lot.
0: Like fruits, like glucose. Yeah,
1: exactly. And you needed them for the energy at at that time. Right. But, and so it's our bodies are trained to crave sweets. Right. Especially when we're stressed. And so, if we just understand that and monitor that, as like I was saying, if I start eating sweets, I know, okay, this is comforting me. What are other ways that I can add sweetness into my life? Or maybe good forms of glucose, like an apple. There you go. That's beautiful. Sweet
0: tarts. That's beautiful. That's what I do. Like, I, I crave sweets all the time. I'll just grab like a peach or an apple or something.
1: Yeah, yeah. That's, that's, a, that's wonderful advice. Yeah. Is if you crave something, go to the, the highest quality of what you
0: Right, drink. okay. Yeah. That makes sense. Yeah.
2: In terms of raising your children, are there things that um, maybe you're zigging rather than zagging in terms of like the status quo or what other people do where you're like, this is something that I value for my kids that maybe isn't has accepted in, you know, schools or wherever. The only
1: thing that I value for my kids is that they're happy. You know, and I and I think all parents would say that. But if you looked at the parents' actions, it wouldn't always it's more about there might them be other that, thing. There might be yeah. other things that trump the kids' happiness. It's a little
2: about the parent's happiness yeah, too. Yeah. yeah.
1: So for me, but to me I like my training is if my goal is that the kid is happy and I train them that me being happy is going to make them happy then we get into a, a situation where we're all learning to take care of each other, you know, and that happiness isn't something that you turn on it's something that you have to work towards. And so, um, finding that balance, but that's my ultimate goal is that cause to me, if, if the kid is happy, they're going to be able to adapt and survive and deal with whatever, whatever.
2: Even if they're going through tough things in their life, which, which makes me think there's a deeper happiness than just like raw joy Right. And what, what you know, I, I know when I feel it, but I don't know how to describe as athletes it.
1: athletes, though. Right. We, you know, after a good workout. Right. That's mm-hmm. happiness. But we had to work our ass off to get to that level of happiness.
0: Right. Like endorphins. Exactly.
1: Yeah. Well, that's how it manifests. But, you know, sometimes we think of ourselves as as biological machines, but we're consciousness machines that generate molecules. But it's the consciousness that generates the molecules. And so an example with my kid. Right. I will wrestle. You know, and he's, you know, I'm 46 and he's two, but I'll put him in like a situation where I'll get him to the edge of discomfort, you know, and I'll encourage him to like fight and push through. And then the smile on his face when he frees himself from the hold that I had him in. Right. That's the kind of, that's another level of dealing with the difficulty and taking joy and overcoming the difficulty.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Did you feel like you were happy when you were the face of the NFL. Like, going through, like, peak stardom for Ricky Williams, whether it be, like, at UT or, you know, draft night or, or Miami or, like, whatever phase of your life. Like, how what was your relationship with like, – like, I can only wrap my head around how that experience could be, especially, like, in a big city like Miami where, like, all the celebrities in Miami Beach and you're going now and, like, it's, it's Ricky Williams, you know?
1: Yeah, I guess I was so focused on – being good at my craft.
0: Yeah. You know?
1: That I saw the fame is just a reward for the hard work that I put in. You no, know, I had a, a coach and I learned this early in my career. He said, you're never as good as they say you're never as bad as they say. Oh. Um, And so I just focused on the effort I put into my preparation and, and performance.
0: Like, you were talking about child stars. I mean, you were a little older, obviously, than a child, like, late teens, early 20s, but... Like, it is hard. Of course.
1: I think because of our culture's fascination with fame is that we think fame is the, the, the aim. But to me, the whole purpose of being famous is that you have a platform to make a difference. Yeah. But oftentimes, we spend our time working on the fame, not working on
0: building character so that
1: we can make a difference. Um, and that's my big thing, because especially in football, especially in football, all of the things we learn how to work together as a team, how to support each other, how to prepare, how to deal with adversity. All those things are all the things you need to be really truly happy in life, fulfilled in life. Yeah. But if you only apply it to your sport, you're missing the opportunity to, for greater, deeper levels of fulfillment.
2: I'm sure you've been asked this a million times, but it just really is interesting to me. Um, when, you, when you first left at the height of your career, were you confident? Like social media obviously changes things now. It's harder to escape unless you just completely ditch it. But um, you had to be so, I'm sure, cemented in your decision and yourself to talk to a, a multi-billion-dollar corporation and say, "Hey, I'm I'm out." What What was that like, leading up to and then after the fact? When I'm sure people, you know, were, "Hey, are you sure? Are you sure? You know, we need you." Yeah, you know, I just got this
1: like hunger for more. You know, in, in the NFL is wonderful, but you know, even if I, even if I thought of fame, okay. Even if I thought of fame, I think of, okay, if I'm a famous NFL player, even if I'm the best, right. NFL is not even an international sport. So there is, right. And I put all my energy into that, that still was a limit of what of the, kind of the amount of people that I could touch. Yeah. And so it, it from my perspective, of, it's easy when you're not in the NFL to be like, wow, the NFL is it. But once you're there and you're willing to look beyond, you realize this actually is kind of small. And so I felt like personally I was underachieving, that I was that I had more in me than what the NFL could offer. And then if I stayed in the NFL, I was selling myself short and kind of selling out for what? To entertain people? And to me, I just like, it made me want to puke. And so I... It was more of disgust that led to my decision than than anything else.
2: Was it a face-to-face conversation with head coach, management? Hey, see how did it it work?
1: Okay, so first conversation was with um, Dr. Brown, who heads the NFL's drug program. First thing I called him up and I said, you don't have to drug test me anymore because I'm retiring. (laughs) Uh, Next phone call was to Dave Wanstead. And I was in Hawaii at the time. And so I called up Dave and... It's funny. and I, He was trying. He was being a coach, and I'm sure he was shocked. Yeah. You know, head coach here is your star players retiring, you know, two weeks before training camp starts. And, you know, he's like, if I was your father, you know, he was, I would tell you, you're making a mistake. <laughs> what? Okay. Uh, and I think those were the main, those were the main two conversations.
2: So it happened before training camp, and it was, yeah,
1: yeah, it was July 18th. There was and some July.
2: geographic distance between exactly. you and the facility. Yeah, makes of, it a little bit easier.
1: It made it a lot easier. Yeah. <laughs> yeah,
0: yeah. And then your decision to come back.
1: My decision to come back. So when I retired, I that's when I found yoga. I became a yoga instructor. I went to India, and I came across this idea of dharma. You know that there's a lar- we're here for a larger purpose. And I realized in the course of my story, the way that I left the NFL and the way the story went. It was gonna make it difficult to re-access that platform that I just to have destroyed. the influence
0: that you feel like you need to help exactly. others exactly okay.
1: exactly. So I realized I had to come back and like
0: write the story so so that I could have these. So influence. it's like the purpose of playing was less about you enjoying football, though you do, but more about like creating that platform exactly yeah
1: it was i mean you you nailed it it was more about what football can do for me and it can support my turns that
0: helps you help others exactly okay exactly
1: and that's what i was always aiming for but i didn't have anything other than football so i didn't have anything else but even just that one year away and traveling and learning yoga and opening my spiritual path it showed me that i have much more to offer the world and that football can actually help me offer that
0: you mentioned briefly, this is off topic, but uh, parting with Dennis Rodman. Yeah. And uh, the show you run, they didn't, like, ask any follow-ups. But I think that's fascinating. Like, he's just such a, for lack of a better term, interesting person and character. He's been through a lot. Like, how was that?
1: Yeah, so I've hung out with Dennis a bunch. But the first time is the only time I would say I actually really partied with him. Yeah. You know? Like, very few people... You know, party with Dennis and live to tell the story. <laughs> um, so it was it was right after, um, it was the Super Bowl after my senior season. So right before I, right before the draft, a couple months before the draft. And I was in Miami hanging out with Dan Levitard. And there was a Tommy Hilfiger party that Dan was invited to and he brought me. And Dennis was in there. So we were at the bar and Dennis was right next to me. And he was like, you know, he looks and he was like, hey. He was like, you're hanging out with me today. And he started, he was drinking Jaeger shots. And he just started buying me Jaeger. So, and this is when Dennis was at like Dennis, you know, and this like was peak. Yes. Peak Dennis. And okay. we're in Miami beach okay. And so everyone's like, Dennis is going down to bed, right. To the, to a club at the other end of, uh, of Collins, uh, Washington. And so everyone took off and I was sitting talking to his sister and this other lady and they, and they, and they both grabbed me and they're like, you're coming with us. And so Dennis was in front and I was kind of falling behind with his sister and this other lady and everybody was going crazy. Crazy for Dennis, you know? Like no one even recognized Heisman (laughs) Trophy winner. Everyone was going crazy for Dennis. And I just was tagging along, you know, like kind of like a fly on the wall. We went to bed and I remember meeting a whole bunch of famous people and Jaegers kept coming. And then I remember Dennis took off and the ladies grabbed me. And I just remember walking down the street, being dragged by this lady. Next thing I know, I woke up, (laughs) woke up in the morning, woke up in the morning, looking around. I was like, where am I? You no, know, I just saw there's like on the, on the, the doorknob, there's this huge bra hanging on the doorknob Whoa. and these huge tennis shoes. And I was thinking, what happened? So I opened the the door to the room and I looked and there's just a hallway of rooms <laughs> and like a, and like a stair, like a little stairs that went up. So I went up the stairs and Miami beach, right. Looking out the, the window. I looked around and there was this guy sitting on the couch and he just looked at me and he just started laughing, you know? And I was like What happened <laughs> like You don't know What, happened and, what happened and where am I And this is when Dennis was married To Carmen Electra mm. And so they were In the bedroom Back there And then they broke down That the party was here And they tried to invite me But I passed out And so They threw me in the bed And It's like a scene From The
0: Hangover Exactly
1: yeah.
0: So you just blacked out Like drunk or Yeah, yeah. yeah. Are the jaeger has got me.
2: Are there any healing properties to alcohol or is that just fun? That's just There, there you know, are
0: healing. There definitely
1: are healing. Anything that helps you relax is healing. Mm-hmm. You know some people go overboard and get too relaxed and they like go to poison a little too relaxed. Yeah. yeah, he fell asleep. Yeah, but there's anything that puts you in that in that receptive open-minded mood
0: is medicine. What about like the harmful effects for your brain?
1: But to me if someone is using at that level and they're not they're not moving into the toxicity, so especially with alcohol. There's you'll see there's a certain level with alcohol where you get to that relaxed state, but then there's a time where you start to revert. And I had a teacher who talk about this. He's like, when you start drinking alcohol too much, right, you go back to your mammal, your mammalian state, you know, and then you go back to your reptile state, <laughs> you know. and then you go back and you shut down and you die. And so there's a limit, right? And same thing with anything. I anything meditation. Anything can be done in in excess. Right. It's really about listening to your body, listening to yourself. And if you're truly open and you're truly listening, you'll know when you're going too far. It'll be obvious.
0: Has Dennis ever talked about like King Jong Un or anything like that?
1: No. Any no. of his
0: visits? Are there?
1: He just laughs when I would, you know. If you brought it up, you would just laugh. He would just laugh and say he's crazy. That's what he would say. Yeah, he's crazy. Wow.
0: It is crazy. He's like you say, he's, he's crazy. the only person he's cool. though that like. Goes
1: right. Yeah, he doesn't go anymore. It was just a short period of time, but I think he got so much slack for it He was
0: like, it's not worth just, it. Yeah, PR. Just exactly. PR. <laughs> exactly. Wow. Last thing. So you got a Heisman vote every year. Who are you looking at this year?
1: I'm looking at everybody still. It's early.
0: There's uh Caleb obviously at SC. There's Michael Penix at UW. That's probably one and two. Not for me. It's too early in the season. Like, you usually make your decision, what, like, last three weeks? The last week. You know, there, there's always the Heisman
1: moment, right? And the Heisman moment means that the person knows that they're in the running for the Heisman Trophy, and typically, late in the season, there's really big, important games against really good opponents Yeah, that have a lot of film. And so the ones that perform in those situations, those, to me, that's the Heisman Trophy.
0: So you're taking more into account team success on that?
1: Mm, to a certain extent, right? To me, if if you're the best player, even even late in the season, right, you're going to be doing special things, you know. But team success kind of kind of does matter. I mean, for me, I knew going into my senior year that the team had to be decent, you know. And we went we we almost won our our conference, but late in the season we went up to Nebraska. Okay, big game. We're both competing for the conference. They had like a 32 game home winning streak and we went up there and beat them. And I had 150 yards last game of the season, Texas A&M had already won the conference, but we were playing against them because it was their last game of the season. Um, They were ranked number six and we beat them. And I, had two hundred and forty something yards and broke the all time rushing record. That's nuts. That was a Heisman moment, you know. That was, okay. I was the front, I was the front runner, and, and I knew you, that at the time. Yeah, like, and I knew if I broke the all time rushing record, it would be hard not to give me the Heisman. Um, but to do it on a sixty yard run, I made it, you know, made
0: it easy. That's for the him. moment. Yeah,
1: that was the Heisman moment. Wow. Charles Woodson, the year before, returned the punt against Ohio State. And he did the yeah,
0: yeah, yeah, that's iconic. Yeah, yeah, it is cool to be. It's a fraternity, right? Yeah,
1: it is. Definitely
0: like to be a part of. Do you go to New York every year?
1: I I didn't for a long time, but um, I started going the year. I think the year that um, Baker won. Okay, Baker so, Mayfield. We started
0: going. What is that? Twenty
2: eighteen got to get you in the heisman house commercials man
1: yeah I I was I used to be in them a bunch but I think wendy's one of the big sponsors they're like anti-cannabis oh really
2: we' yeah. get them get people to eat more food though would it not I mean'm i, I, you I I'm telling camunchies. you all these
1: these snack food companies and fast food companies they're gonna be the first to come around yeah, to, yeah. To having cannabis commercial or at least it's not going to be obvious you know but you'll know because you'll see me in the commercial
0: right like a- <laughs> <laughs> why are they against cannabis Is it like wendy's a- I think they're just probably
1: from the Midwest and just wholesome, it's
0: just okay. older people, right? Older people, <laughs> like and continent. I don't blame them,
1: right? That that's that was the training that they received. That was their conditioning, you know. And the environment, is, especially yeah. when you're a kid and you're going to get in trouble for something, that's a powerful tool and for for conditioning.
0: Well, thank you, brother. Yeah, that was thank awesome. You very brother. Of course, yeah. thank you very guys. much.